Well, what do you say? What do you do? Uh, I am proud. Um, Ethan will be signing autographs afterwards as well. Uh, next Sunday, we will not be here. Uh, Ray Sullivan, uh, our uh, mission strategist and catalyst for uh, Region 6 for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, will be preaching. Uh, I'm both thrilled that he's going to be here to preach, and I'm both sad. He was supposed to be here last Sunday because we were supposed to be in Guatemala. Uh, now, I don't say that to try to invoke sadness, but there is a certain sense of it. Every single day this week, memories were popping up, but I challenge those who would have been there with us this week to uh, look on it with great anticipation for when we get to go back uh, and remember what God did. Uh, I saw one yesterday that Dakota had posted 346 lives eternally changed. I saw one where Andrew posted of the little girl holding her Bible and said this sums up the entire trip. Now, uh, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't want false hope, but a lot of us said, well, next year. But I don't know, based on what happens, that we'll have to wait that long. Uh, if things begin to start opening up, we may take a small group sometime this fall. And so be praying about that is the reason I say that. But the reason I will not be here next week is uh, Emily will be graduating this Saturday at Truett McConnell. And so we're going there, and uh, I thank God for our school and uh, one of our three Georgia Baptist schools and uh, I thank God for Dr. Canner and the entire faculty and the board of trustees that says there's no reason to cancel. Uh, we will postpone. And they did from May 9th to June 13th. And so every student who can will walk this coming Saturday. And so uh, you pray for us as we'll be traveling there and uh, just enjoying that time together. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 10. Now I must hit the road running because I have vowed to try to go quick uh, because it may not bother everyone else, but parents become nervous when their children become a little fidgety. I tell you again, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I do still with, with restroom issues and stuff, we want to try to keep everything condensed and, and closed down. And I, I'm so thankful for Matt and our praise team who do an absolutely phenomenal job that sing both the old songs. Listen, Matt, Mom last week loved the old hymn. She just loved that. But then to hear Waymaker today that uh, and, and you know those other songs that we've sung this morning that are newer songs, I love a church that understands it's not in genres, it's not in decades of different styles, but it's in the message of Jesus Christ being the one that we do not have to fear because of. And so I'm very thankful for that. But as we look at chapter 10, running as hard as we can, as we have uh, looked through Nehemiah and we're starting to head toward the end, we saw the most miraculous building feat. To me, having visited there is greater than even seeing the pyramids. We talk about the pyramids and what a great building feat. Uh, and it is. It absolutely is. And they don't understand uh, technically and, and absolutely how they were able to do it. But neither can they figure how in the world this bunch of ragtag Jews that had been in exile for so long were able to take the remaining rocks that had been strewn all over Jerusalem and build the wall back, build the gates back, and do it in 52 days. 52 days. God had heard their prayer and sent them back into the land to reestablish temple worship and to reestablish that great city set on a hill and the great nation that He had called out with Abram who had become Abraham, and then that chosen son, and then his son, Jacob, who would be 
given the great blessing to be called Israel and have the sons that would be the tribes that we still recognize today. But there in chapter 7 and and starting to change, it went from reestablishing the structure, the physical structure of the land, to now reestablishing the spiritual structure of the people. We've seen that in 7, 8, and 9, and now as we look at 10. You know, I remember, believe it or not, being a youth pastor. I started out in ministry just glad to preach wherever they'd let me preach. And I would preach in nursing homes and preach on the radio. And uh, I, I mean, I would preach wherever anyone would allow me to preach. And uh, I started off as kind of an assistant to my pastor and then was called to our first church as a youth and education pastor, the first one they'd ever had. So they had no idea what to expect, thank goodness because I had no idea what I was doing either. But I can remember going on those trips and then later as a pastor and then watching uh, as I went with our youth when parents load them up and the parents did the same, I did the same, when we would go on trips away from our parents, our parents would give what the youth pastor would say, all right, this is how much they need. They're going to be at Ridgecrest, so they're going to want to go get a smoothie or get a coffee, or they may want to go into the souvenir shop. We're going to stop and eat going, and we're going to stop and eat coming, but everything else is going to be taken care of. And so let's just throw a number out there. Let's say, so you, you know, at the most, at the most, and we're rounding way up, at the most, 50, 60 bucks. And so the parent knows, and so they take and almost double it, and they give them $100, and they say, whatever you do, make it last. You ever heard those words? And if we're going to Ridgecrest, we stop in Spartanburg, and we stop at the mall, and the first thing we go and we say, all right, you've got 52 minutes to meet us back right here. Now, it's a food court and restaurants. Go get what you want. We're not going to make everybody line up right here. And so some's doing this and some, and by the time there's seven minutes left, they've been shopping and realize, oh, I better eat. And so they're rushing through, and then they're going back, getting in line, getting Chick-fil-A milkshakes and stuff. And we get back on the bus, and it looks like they've been on a game show that says, buy as much as you can within an hour. They bought hats. They bought whatever they wanted that they found. They didn't even know they wanted. But mom and daddy's not there to tell them no. And by the time they get on the van, uh, on the van, their $100 is now at about 7 And they saw fit to save it because they wanted at least one or two smoothies during the week. Does that sound familiar? And then they're like, oh, uh, Brother Andrew, uh, I don't have any money. Dude, the sun is not set on the day we left. It's, it's Monday afternoon. You, what, what did you do? I don't know. I don't know what. Did you lose it? No. What'd you do? Well, I bought a hat. Well, how much was that? $35. They come in with the craziest, uh, you know, but we've all done this kind of stuff. We don't count the cost for the week. All they see is right now. Right now. They see the moment. We're all guilty of that. Getting locked into what we want, when we want it, and not realize it. Listen. God's Word says in Luke 14, 28, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts the cost? To estimate and evaluate, do I have the money to finish? Whether he has enough to finish it. There's nothing worse in construction than somebody to jump off in something and then not have enough to finish it. I can remember when Becky and I were dating, 76 years ago, or whenever it was. And I can remember going down her old Villarica Road and uh, go through these S-turns where you felt like you were driving into Indy, you know, and you could cut the corner stuff. But as you come out of it and start up the hill, there was this house that sat in the edge of the woods that was this great monstrosity, well, at the time. It was this big, at least two, if not three-story house. I mean, it was going to be phenomenal. But it was just 
framed. It wasn't even completely dried in. It was framing with the plywood on the outside and a roof. No windows, no doors. And it had sat there for probably five to eight years when we were dating. And I can remember several years ago us going to visit Becky's mother and riding by and it was gone. It had finally rotted and they just, what had not fallen down was pushed down. Now I want to tell you, I just described the sad obituary of churches today. Not all of them, but some of them. We have not counted the cost of growing the kingdom of God. See, when Jesus left heaven, He knew exactly what He was doing. He knew exactly where He was going. And that's why they could not uh, uh, cause Him to falter. He said to His mother, He said to the high priest, He said to everyone, I have come to do the Father's will. And He went to the cross and died for you and me. Here in Nehemiah chapter 10, we see the cost of our burden. The cost of our burden. If we want to say, oh, I'm just so burdened, you've got to understand there's a cost to it. There's a cost to serving God. It's not free in the sense of serving. It's free to be saved. But once we're saved, listen, God has called us out of damnation. He has saved us. We've heard all week calling for us to condemn things. And I just made up my mind earlier. I am not in a place, and and listen, I've got my opinions on a lot of stuff, but listen, you don't care to hear it. And honestly, when I say it, I usually don't care to hear it either. But one thing I do know, and I'm not saying this for or against anything, I'm saying in my place, as being a blood-bought child of God, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Got to have that. And so I want you to understand with me, there's a cost of our burden. Look in chapter 10. Now I'm going to read every single one of these names. So y'all just spoke. No, I'm not either. Now, those that sealed were Nehemiah, the Tershatha, or governor, the son of Hakaliah, and Zedekiah. Now, it goes on and it tells all the other names, the Levites and the brethren of the Levites and all the different people through verse 27. And it said, and the rest of the people. The priests... The Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands, separate from the world, coming out and being separate unto the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. I want you to understand three things about the cost of our burden. Wouldn't be a good Baptist sermon if it didn't have three things. The first thing in the cost is surrender. The surrender of ourselves to God's word. The second thing is the devotion of ourselves to God's way. And the third thing is the support for God's house. First of all, let's look at the surrender of ourselves. He said in verse 1, now these that sealed were. And he goes on in verse 28, and it said they were separated from the things of the world unto the law of God, every one of them having knowledge and having understanding. It was a, you remember what had happened in chapter 9 we read about last week? Ezra stood behind a pulpit of wood, and for how long did he read God's word? A quarter of a day. And then they would pray for a quarter of the day, and then he would do it again. And he would read the Word of God. I'm going to tell you one of the most blessed times I've ever seen in church is one time we had a 24-hour uh, day of prayer, and another we had 12 hours of prayer. Either one, when God's Word is read, and we would have partners. And I challenge anyone that wants to take up this mantle here at this church, what a great cost and what a great payday. 
listen, we would come together as prayer partners. And let's just say Andrew and I were prayer partners. We would come in at whatever our scheduled time, whether it was for 30 minutes or for an hour. Let's say we did it for 12 hours here, that we started at 7 in the morning and went to 7 at night. And Andrew and I would come in at, let's say we kicked it off at 7 a.m. You say, you up at 7 a.m.? As a pastor, I realized with the 24-hour thing, people don't sign up for 4 o'clock in the morning. And when you're the pastor and you want it done, you do it. And so I can remember the most groggy reading of God's Word and praying I've ever done. But let's say we come in at 7 and Andrew and I come together and the first thing we would do, let's say we did it for 30 minutes. Our time was 7 to 7.30. I would come at 7 a.m., not 7.05, not 7.03, but at 7 o'clock and I would open God's Word and I would begin to read. And Andrew would get in the altar and he would pray. And we would do that for 15 minutes. And at the end of 15 minutes, I would swap and I would get down and pray. And Andrew would get up and he would read. And we would do that every half hour, all day long for 12 hours. And the reading of God's Word was going out. You said, what good is that? Nobody was in there. I'm telling you, the reading out loud of God's Word is powerful. No matter where, no matter what, listen, it it is more than a prop. But I don't have a bit of problem when people hold up the Word of God and proclaim the Word of God. You see, surrendering ourselves is about surrendering to the Word. First of all, we surrender our our head. This is the part we have the problem with. For most of us, if we could just cut ourselves off somewhere above the chin, I would say above the eyes, but this part under the nose causes problems. But the head, what drives the mouth. And if we would surrender our head, and I want to deal with some things real quickly, and some of it is very timely, but it is always timely when we think about it. These cats in this day had to understand there were people all around them, other nations that had infiltrated Israel while they, can you imagine what happened? Our old saying is when the cats away, the mice will play. Well, the people had been gone for over 70 years at this point. They had started a remnant coming back. But in that that vacuum, these other countries and these other people groups began to come in and claim their own territory. It's like in the New Testament when a demon leaves, but you don't replace it with that which is right and that which is God. He said seven more would come in. And so there were peoples from all over taking place. And they had brought their ideas with them. And they were wanting to convert and cause the Jews to assimilate to their way of thinking. Do you know that Jews and Americans are the only people who do not assimilate? Do you know that? Now, when I say Americans don't, we may assimilate in practice, but you'll never hear someone called an American Irishman or an American Hispanic. It's never that way. It's Spanish American, Irish American, Italian American, but never the other way around. And Jews are never called Jewish Americans. Did you know that? They're either American Jews or Russian Jews. Wherever they went and lived after World War II or even before that, they would claim that part at the start, but what remains is they're a Jew. They're a Jew no matter what. No matter where they go, where they're raised, their heart is in Israel. Their life is based on who they are and nationality. Except sometimes they would forget. And they would begin to allow things to happen. And they would allow their wives, their daughters to marry those outside. And problems started. Listen, that great martyr, Balthasar Hubmeyer, he understood the surrender of ourselves with our head to God's Word. His watchword in life and death was, truth is immortal. Now hear me. We must understand and accept there is no, listen to me now, there is no new truth. There will be no 
new truth. Anyone that gets up and says, God has given me a new word. I am a prophet. I'm telling you, discount it and throw them out of your head immediately anytime they proclaim it. There is no new truth. We have all the truth there ever will be in our lives until we see Him face to face. Truth is immortal. The truth we have today is the same truth they had then, just exposed more. Here's the deal. Truth, we must understand, is not new. We are to grow in newly learned truth. The truth is there. We just need to learn more of it. Get it? You get it? The truth is there. You just have to dig for it. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more exciting as a believer who begins to dig in the Word of God and says, wow, I didn't know that. Now that's cool. I never knew that. I, I don't know how I missed that. And God begins to explore because this Word is living and breathing. It is alive to us. And so first of all, when we surrender our head to God, we surrender our own worldly axioms. Now what in the world is that? An axiom is something assumed to be truth but not proven. There's a lot of schools of thought in this world that people adhere to. We follow great writers and great authors and we, we read after great thinkers. I can remember going into the United States House of Representatives and all around there's plates at the top. I've talked about Moses, the lawgiver, looking down at the well. But all around are great thinkers of the ages. There's Aristotle and Socrates and Plato and these great thinkers that have plaques to them around the tops of that gallery. And people have ascribed to the the thought of all matter being evil. And they've, they've ascribed to Platoism. They've ascribed to some of the thinking of the, the, the Enlightenment, the French Enlightenment. And some, they have banked their life on what Spinoza said or on Occam's razor. They've based their lives on the empiricism that has been taught. And what we have done is we have adulterated the Word of God in God's house. Now we can't expect lost men to know better, but we can't expect a believer to know truth. And I'm here to tell you, I love something that someone on the news said just this weekend. Said, I believe in science. I believe in the law of gravity. I believe in the law of physics. But I also believe God created it all. That's where we stand. We don't discount science. If you do, you're going to end up hurt. We must understand with our head that these worldly axioms, this is where politics, this is what we call the platforms. They're the axioms of this group of people. I, can I give you some personal advice as your pastor? Never, ever, ever get labeled anything but a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what ticket you vote on, I'm going to tell you, after a while, somebody lets let you down. I don't care what party it is. I don't care what group you run with, what team you pull for. I don't care. What matters is not worldly axioms, but the truth that is immortal. Religious dogma. Legalism has no place in the economy of grace. Let me say that again. Legalism has no place in the economy of grace. Legalism takes the Old Testament and tries to make it what it wants to support how they think. Whether it's in the way we dress, the way we worship, who we're for and who we're against, I'm going to tell you something. God said He's for us. And if He's for us, then He's for them. We preached not just a few weeks ago same but different. You remember Imago Day In the image of God? Listen, red, yellow, black, and white, they're all created in the image of God. They're all precious in His sight. 
I've not posted anything this week. I've not jumped on any bandwagon because I've got news for you. I was anti-racist two weeks ago. Nothing has changed except for the fact of a very dirty, very mean, very hate-filled police officer and three, and listen, if there's anything we ought to learn, if we stand by while the devil has his knee on our fellow man's neck, whether literally or spiritually or figuratively, then we are accomplices to the crime. Christians, it's time to snatch the world off the necks of our family and our friends and let them breathe the air of grace. You say, preacher, you're stretching it. Now you're getting political. No, I'm getting biblical. Yeah, it makes us uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you, it's uncomfortable to watch what's going on. But we must not at this moment be silent on the Word of God. Once again, remember, we're not being pulled into any acronym. We're not being pulled into a hashtag. We're being centered on the Word of God. Amen? Listen. Dogma. Legalism means this pendulum swings to the right in all the law. And liberalism means the pendulum swings all the way over nothing but grace and forgiveness. I've got news for you. God is both loving and just. God is both grace-filled and holy. And God that is holy cannot allow sin to not be judged. For in that, he would not be God. You know when you get sick feeling or something goes wrong, and I'm I'm not pretending because I don't want you to buy into prosperity gospel. Everything that goes wrong in your life doesn't mean you did something bad, okay? And maybe not indirectly. I mean, not directly, but do you know? Somebody asked me, I was being cute one day, but it's for real. Somebody said, did you hear about so-and-so? I said, what? They died. I said, oh, really? Yeah, have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I'd heard that. Well, how'd they die? I said, they quit living. You know why they died? You said, I don't even know who it was. It doesn't matter. You know why they died? Sin. You're going to die because of sin. Every one of you. You said, they didn't deserve to die. Everybody deserves to die. Everybody. Two-year-olds, ten-year-olds, a hundred-year-olds. Everyone deserves to die because everyone is born, created in the image of God, but conceived in the sinfulness of man. We've got to get over this idea that, oh, there's good in everybody. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing good in you and me except Jesus. It's not popular. But it wasn't popular with Israel either. That's why they kept getting taken into exile. That's why from A.D. 70 until 1948, they ceased to exist as a country. Almost 2,000 years. Because God said, I will be your God, you be my people. And they said, no, that's all right. And they ended up strewn throughout the world. Listen, secular substructs. This is an underlying, self-indulging idea that has no place in the presence of God. We build our substructs, our, our thinking on secular things, and we interject it in the church. I'm going to tell you, we don't need the world's ideas how to do business, how to do anything when it comes to relationships, We don't need the seven habits of highly effectual people to know how to love one another in Jesus Christ. And I sure don't need a former or or a Mormon to tell me how to do it according to the Word of God. We We will spend exorbitant amounts of money to go to schools and read books and listen to blogs of people who are just like you and me, and we put all our eggs in that basket and never read the Word of God. These are substructs that are really 
Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. The problem is, you see, they've just put a new shine on something that come out of the Enlightenment that they put a new shine on that came out of some mystic in Greece or in Rome. Limited understanding. You ever met somebody that knew everything? You would know it because they told you. And sometimes God's had to check me and said, you're not near as smart as you think you are. Listen, John MacArthur wrote something, and I read it yesterday, and it just absolutely blew me away. He said, you know that part that Jesus told Peter in the garden? The flesh is weak. That's not an excuse. It's a warning. I can't tell you how many times I've heard and lived a practice of saying, well, the flesh is weak, that's what happened. But the truth is, it's not an excuse to do whatever you want. Say, oh, well, the flesh is weak. You ever heard somebody say, well, i got to die somehow. Yeah, but wouldn't you rather die like Hubmeyer, knowing you had laid it all on the altar? Now, honestly, I don't want to burn to death. But I'd like to be able to say I've, I've done it all for the Lord. I'd like to say I have fought a good fight. You know, I don't use that scripture at every person's funeral. I just don't. Because I I believe that that's to be saved for those who really, really did it well. I don't know that I will deserve it. I hope. I pray. But to be able to say I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've run my race. I've done it for the Lord. Listen, we've got to accept our limited understanding, surrender our head and say, God, pour into me. It's learned traits. Now, buckle up right here. This is pre-understanding. And every single one of us has it. You say, well, I, I wasn't raised by my birth parents. I was adopted. I don't care if you was raised by wolves. You bring a pre-understanding to your situations today, your environment that you were raised around. We sat last weekend and watched old home movies. We watched people we haven't seen in years. But you know, all of them had something. Emily and I was talking this week as we were sitting down to a meal about praying, and I kind of did it jokingly. I said, I don't mean like I'm being sarcastic. I said, because that's how my dad prayed, this is how my pastor prayed, and it helped form me spiritually. My spiritual formation was learning by hearing those men and women in my Sunday school class and in worship and beside my bed or my parents' bed living an example. That's how I learned to pray, didn't you? Of course you did. You heard them pray that way. It is a great Thing, but not all things that we bring, our learned traits, are good. Pre-understanding interjected by a broken world, broken forefathers, must be seen for what it is. Broken. You say, well, that's just the way I was raised. Don't mean it's right. It just doesn't mean it's right. You may have had the hardest working grandpa in the world, but that don't make him the most spiritual man. You may have had the greatest cooking grandmother in the world. That doesn't make her the greatest godly grandmother that ever lived. And even if she was, even if he was, does not make him truth. They may have known a lot of truth, but they're not truth. Jesus is truth. Y'all with me? Give our head to him. But then the surrender of our heart. The surrender of our heart. This is our desires. Man, what do you want? Sometimes God has to pry it. Corey Tinboom said, I've learned to hold all things loosely. That way it doesn't hurt as bad when God takes it. Whew. That's strong, isn't it? Jim Elliott said, 
the most famous for me, my personal favorite, is he is not a fool to give up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Listen, we're not going to have an earthly head when we get to heaven. We're not going to have an earthly heart when we get to heaven. Hallelujah, praise God like Ezekiel said. And God will cut away the stony heart and give us a new heart. One day when we're glorified, we'll stand in His perfection with no flaws in our thought processes, no false schools of thinking, but it'll all be focused on Him and who He is. And our heart, oh, the desires of this world will have passed away. All the things that rust and are corrupted, gone. Our emotions. I don't know about you. If you've watched any or listened to any news, it's hard not to get emotional somehow in the last week or two. I've gone from sad to mad to indifferent. Every range of emotion. If you're a parent, you've done the same thing. There's days you've been thrilled and so proud like I was this morning. But she hadn't always done everything right. And I sure haven't done everything right. There's days we've been mad at each other. There's days that we could just eat each other up. We're so thrilled and happy for one another and to be with each other. Emotions unchecked can wreck us. Y'all hear me? Peter was an emotional cat, wasn't he? That guy, he'd get emotional and whip out a sword at one minute and the next minute he was cursing like a sailor. You're not going to take my Jesus! I don't have a clue who you're talking about. I don't know him. I'm not with him. That quick. You know why? He wrote on emotion. Emotional inspiration can cause you in the losing of your mother to walk into a ring and fight the greatest boxer to ever live and beat him. That's what Buster Douglas did. They said, what do you attribute this great victory over the greatest boxer? He said, well, my mother passed and I wanted to fight for her. He came out in the next fight several months later and got his brakes beat off because he had nothing to get inspired for. Nobody died. We like those good feels good stories. We watch watching that, that major league player whose father had died the day before get up and hit a home run in honor of his father. We love to see that kind of stuff when people come home from the military and surprise their family members. We love that kind of stuff and we ought to love that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, if we base everything on emotions, we'll stay mad most of the time, excited most of the time, and right smack dab in the middle we become depressed, despondent, and quit God. That serving God, there's a cost. And it's not always the most exciting thing. And then we've got to surrender our personal preferences in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So we'll tell you what we desire, what our treasure is. And he said, listen, where, where our heart is, there will our, or where our treasure is, there will our heart be. What is your heart? Where is it at? Is it in the treasures of this world or surrendered to God? Warren Wiersbe said, our obedience, listen to this, our obedience should be a joyful response to all that He has done for us in Christ. When we obey, we don't kick and scream. You know, when you do it because you know better than not to do it, but you're not doing it because you want to. You've been a kid before. You know what I'm talking about. You may have washed the dishes, but you didn't do it the best you could have, and you sure didn't want to be doing it. You may have washed the car because Daddy said wash it, but you didn't halfway do it. And there's nothing worse then when they call you on it, and make you do it again. And usually if you have to do it again, you'll have to do it a third time until they wash the emotion out of your life. Surrender our personal preferences. 
I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're not always going to get what you want. And then, we've got to surrender our hands. That's what Warren Wiersbe is saying. Listen, it's not about what we get, what we do. Look what I built. You know, a woman, she can clean the whole house, vacuum, wash the dishes, wash the clothes, take out the trash, and the man goes out in front of the yard and he says, hey, come here. Yeah, what is it? Look. May everybody bow down at the beauty of my yard. And the wife's like, yeah, honey, you did such a great job. And she, as soon as she turns around, we know what y'all are doing. You're going, what an idiot. I've done all this, and you're going, you cut, you rode on a skag. Amen, Bruce? You, I mean, it's fun. I won't let anybody else cut my yard. I put my headphones on and go to town. Nobody hears me. I don't hear nothing. I'm just having a big time. But us men, we want to be praised. We make an ashtray that looks like something that come out of a volcanic crevice and we give it to our mama and our mother says, oh, this is the most precious thing in the world. And now 42 years later, it's sitting out somewhere on a shelf and you're like, mama, get rid of that thing. Oh no, I'm so proud. Mother, you're a liar. That is the ugliest, most ungod... I mean, it, it almost looks satanic, it's so ugly. Oh, but you made it, baby. I love it. Surrender ourselves to our hands to the Lord. But then the devotion of ourselves to God's way. Look in verse 28. And the rest of the people, priests, Levites, porters, singers, Nethanim, all that they had separated themselves from the people of the lands. They had done what? Separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. This is a devotion a devotion of ourselves to God's way and none other. No matter what others may say or do, we're going to do it God's way. Amen? Eastside. No matter what other churches may say, no matter what they may do, no matter what the preacher decides on his own, if it's unbiblical, we ain't doing it. We're going to do it God's way. Amen? Deacons, we're going to do it God's way. Amen? You don't know what's going to happen at the deacons meeting Tuesday night. We're going to discuss God's business, God's way, that we pray to God that it's done for God's purpose. Amen, Neil? That's what we're here for. That's what we sing for, right, Matt? To bring honor and glory to God. It's not about us. It's not about our talent, even though this is some of the most talented people I've ever been around. I am so thankful because what makes it so wonderful in their singing and their playing is I know their heart. They're doing it to honor God, not themselves. Listen, no matter what others may say or do, we're going to devote ourselves to God's way. No matter who follows. I love a big field altar. I love seeing people giving their life to Christ. But if nobody goes, we're going to keep on preaching the Word of God. If no one had proclaimed Jesus, would our trip to Guatemala have been just as good in the sense of being obedient to God? Absolutely. Because God said go and we went. 1,200 copies of the Word of God given out. It's not, listen, we're to present it, but you're not the Holy Spirit. You can't save your kids. You can't save your neighbors. Listen, you can't save yourself. We must realize no matter who follows, we're devote ourselves solely because it's what God wants. You say, well, me and my wife, if I can get her to come along my husband, you do it. Be a leader. Do what God wants because, listen, real ministers of the gospel lead others because they follow the master. You'll lead your family well, husband, then follow the master. You'll lead your, your teammates, young people, then follow the master. You can't be a leader until you understand how to follow. I have here, and I continue to brag and will continue, the greatest body of deacons I've ever served with, all of them, all 11, 
in their own way, serving the Lord. Yeah, they all have faults and failures, just like everybody else. But these cats get it done. These, these guys, listen, we can come together and it's the most hodgepodge of backgrounds and educations and ages. And when we come together, we pray together, we seek God's will together, and we see God do great things. And I'm thankful for them. But see, I can't always say that about the past. I've had some of the most ungodly deacons that, matter of fact, I don't even have to wonder whether they were saved. I know for a fact some of them made professions of faith after I was gone. Guys that were about them. It was a power trip. Oh, it was a personality a contest of how they can get voted in because they had the most family members and friends. And so they get voted in. I told them, I will not put my hands on a man that does not deserve being ordained. Not going to do it. Not going to be on me. And that comes to the next. No matter how unpopular, we're to devote ourselves to God's way. Church, the world's not going to like it, are they? Huh? You watched any news this week, you know people don't want to hear about God. They don't want to hear about God's way because they're not into surrender and bowing down before the Lord. I saw this week the most horrific thing of it all where they were bowing down, humbling themselves with their hands raised up and surrendering in humility and praying out in confession to a man for the things they'd done. And it wasn't even a religious figure. Surrendering everything in their lives, saying, oh, we have failed you, uh, and crying out in forgiveness. I'm going to tell you, there's only one that deserves that. And his name is Jesus. Amen? I mean, really, amen? Jesus is the only answer. No matter how unpopular and no matter where the enemy attacks. Now I want you to notice, there's a couple of places where he attacks. First, he attacks family. Look in verse 30. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Listen, parents, stop selling your kids to the world at the price of you wanting to be so proud of them that they're smarter, more talented, and do greater things than everybody else's kids. They got more degrees. They got more awards. Do you know I heard someone this past week who they found in moving up, and it wasn't Andrew. They had, so their parent had found a bunch of trophies and stuff, and they said, oh, I wish you wouldn't have found them because now I don't know. Just throw them away. Just throw them away. Because you get 55. And you look back and it, it, you know, you're like, I've moved six times. I really don't want to move this junk again. I sat on the bench. I played right field. If you play baseball, you know what that means. At least on the bench, you may get the bat and, you know, come in and be. You play right field. If you play right field, I'm not laughing at you, I'm laughing with you because. There was a day when I played right field. But even if you played shortstop or third base or first base or even pitch, I did that too. I don't, I don't go through a day and stop and polish my trophies. They're in a box somewhere up in the attic. That's where they're at. No matter where the enemy attacks, he's going to attack your family. Keep them in the Word of God. Keep them before the face of God. And listen, your faith, he said in verse 31, and if the people of the land bring anything, the wares and the victuals on the day of worship, on the Sabbath day to sell, we would not buy it or them on the Sabbath or on the holy day and that we would leave the seventh year and exaction of every debt. Now hear me what they're saying. They're saying we're going to stick with what God's word said, the law. We're not going to sell our souls for convenience. Church, we must not adopt a worldly mentality of how we do worship, when we do worship. I know this quarantine pandemic's got us all in a twist. And I think Eastside has done it as good as anywhere out there in how we've done it. 
But we need to be preparing for the day where we throw these doors open and be back full strength. I don't know when that is. And don't don't get mad. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's in two weeks or two months. I don't know. But I pray, and I, you notice I didn't say I know it's coming. Lord may come back today and we not do it. I don't know when it's coming. But if it does, we need to be ready. We need to be sold out, bought in, whatever you want to call it, to keeping the main thing, the main thing. Finally, the cost of our burden is the support for God's house. He said in verse 32, that we made ordinances for us, laws, to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God, for showbread and for the continual meat offering, for the burnt offering of Sabbaths, of new moons, set feasts, sin offerings, atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. You see, support for the house of God means we'll be faithful in tithe. And I, I thought about this. I'm going to say this out loud. Just because the preacher says it does not mean that you're faulty in doing it. Sometimes it's just a simple reminder to keep doing what you're doing. And right here, when I say faithful in tithes, this is just a reminder lest we forget because you have been faithful. Church, you've been faithful. It is unbelievable what God has done in the body of Eastside in the midst of this quarantine. Do you know we're ahead of budget this year? We're ahead. It is unbelievable what God has done. And when I say unbelievable, that's based on man's ability. But God has done it because you've been faithful to Him. You have lived this sermon. You have paid the price. You have exacted the cost to let God burden your heart to be faithful in your tithes, fruitful in sacrifice, he said in verse 35, to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruit of the trees, year by year into the house of the Lord, also the firstborn of our sons. Oh God, I give you my trees. I give you my bread. Man, I'll fix three casseroles. But Lord, I mean, my child's really good at ball. We're going to miss most of the summer because they're going to be playing ball. I'm going to tell you, you lay your child at the altar of ball and you'll pay the price. And you'll be in this altar when they get out of high school and out of college and they're off living for the world because of their environment, indoctrinating them. And you'll be like, preacher, what can I do? I don't know, but pray. Do it right to start with. Do it right to start with. Faithful in tithes. Fruitful in sacrifice. Give the first of everything. Before you ever write your house note, you write your tithes. Before you ever pay your gas bill, pay the tithes. Because listen, you're not giving God a tenth of yours. You're giving back God a tenth of what is His. Everything you've got is His. If you don't believe that, just keep believing that it's yours and see how quick God can take it away. fruitful and sacrifice. And can I say to encourage you, if you say, oh man, I've been a thief. I've not tithed. I've not been given to God. It's not too late. Catch it up. You say, I can't catch it up that quick. Well then, pattern of time and say, over this pattern of time, I'm going to catch up because I want to walk where God wants me to be. There's blessings in being obedient. Now, whether that's financial blessings or whether it's physical blessings or whether it's spiritual blessings, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you because you're faithful in tithes, God's going to give you a million dollars. But I do know He's going to bless you. Be fruitful in sacrifice. And finally, never forsake our privilege to serve. He said in verse 39, the last verse, we will not forsake the house of our God. Amen? May that be our prayer. Listen, are we going to forever believe the scientist who's telling us about viruses and everything, which are the same scientists that tells us that we came from monkeys? Or are we going to believe in the Lord? I'm not saying be reckless. Be respectful. 
Just like I quoted earlier, we believe in scientists and science because it's a fact. But everybody doesn't know everything. And we must pray that God would show a vaccine, that God may show and deliver us. I believe God has blessed us here dramatically. But let us not forsake our privilege to serve. Listen, as of late we've heard the church is not the building. The church is not the building. We can close it down. Church is not the building. And that's right. But the way we take care of this building, our desire for this building, where we meet together with our fellow believers says a lot about about what we think about the Lord and His house. Y'all hear what I'm saying? We spend all our time and money decorating our yards. I'm going to tell you, the busiest businesses were the hardware stores and the Lowe's and Home Depot's in this quarantine. They're making hand over fist. People beautifying their yard. They couldn't go anywhere. Might as well do something like that. I get that. But we care about the house of God like that. And that's the whole deal with Nehemiah. There's things we need to do here. There's remodeling in that first wing that needs to be done all down that hallway. In the offices and carpet and floor coverings and walls. And we need to be moving forward and looking for the future of what God would want us to do with the worship center. That this be building be absolutely dedicated to day-to-day ministry and wreck and other things that God would use. Listen, never forsake. May this be our prayer. We will not forsake the house of God. Listen, there's a cost to serving the God. If you came, you got saved, and you thought, okay, God, here I am, bless me. Rather than, oh Lord, thank you, here am I to serve you. Then maybe it's time for a change. A surrender of yourselves, your head, your heart, your hands. A devotion of yourselves to God's way. And a support for God's house. As we close in prayer today, may our prayer be, God, show me and reveal to me false thinking. God, may the things of my heart, the heart's desire be solely focused and swallowed up in what you want. May my heart's prayer be not my will, but yours. And Lord, may I move forward with respect, eyes wide open, counting the calls, but may I do it in the everlasting, immortal truth that is you, Jesus Christ. And if all of this, you're watching online, all of this makes no sense then I want you to understand you need to know who Jesus is. You need to know the basic of all truth, and that is that God created you. God created man and the world. And man messed up in sin. And in that sin, sin is passed on all mankind. You were born into sin. And God's truth is that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that if you believe that, you truly believe that, then you will fall on your face and repent of your sins, saying, God, I'm a sinner. There's no hope. There's nothing I can do, Lord. Come into my life. I believe in you. I believe on you. Forgive me and save me. That's truth. May that be your prayer today. As we pray together, Father in heaven, Lord, may we count the cost. And realize that serving you is worth it. Every mile of the way. Yes, Lord, I have regrets and the things that I've done in this life. But the one thing I'll never regret is trusting you. You've never left me. You'll never forsake us. You've never lied to us. You've only loved us. Even in the chastisement of correction, you've loved us. And I pray, Father, that we would pay that price, that we would, not in earning our salvation, but a a labor of love, may we serve you, may we trust you, may our devotion ever be for you. Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today that does not know you as Savior, may this be that moment. May this be the hour that they cry out, Dear Lord, 
forgive me of my sins, rush into my life. Lord, take that which is dead and make it alive. Lord, save me. Lord, this is our prayer today. As we go, may we go in your power and your authority to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.